4: the spring back into your step and into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.
2: Uh, hello, loves. It is Bowerly on News Radio 930 WBEN. You know, one of the things I love about Friday's show is uh, usually I'm able to uh, come in here and tell you about the uh, awesome musician, the, the awesome music I saw the night before. Anyway, uh, it is uh, nine minutes after two at News Radio 930 WBEN. That's called saying something without saying something. Anyway, uh, <laughs> sorry about that. Oh, uh, nothing wrong with the instrumental uh, ability, but uh, the set list was just, it was uh yeah, it was a very short night. I'll say that much. Uh, anyway, uh, it is uh, Bowerly on News Radio nine thirty W B E N, and well, it was like a set list where I literally felt, hmm, is there anybody I know from whom I could borrow some lithium, some kind of antidepressant? Is there anybody? Do I know anybody who's got that stuff? I-, I I gave it a thought for a minute, and then I decided to uh, to just drink heavily instead but uh anyway uh, tanner saunders is the man behind the glass at master control uh tanner always a pleasure to work with you uh yesterday's show on collecting stuff was awesome and uh, today's show i hope is going to be equally awesome and you might think it's the same thing but it really isn't the same thing there's there's a connection but it's not like a connection connection and uh i know yesterday we talked about uh the things that you collect, and uh, last night <laughs> I uh, I could not sleep because have you ever been in a situation where you know you have to get something done and you have no idea when you're going to find the time to get done that which you have to get done? So last night I'm in bed and I am all all I'm thinking about is. I have to go through my father's files. I have to go through my father's files. And part of my father's files are sports memorabilia stuff. Probably half of the files through which I went were sports memorabilia. What kind of sports memorabilia, you might ask? Well, I'm glad you did. Um, programs from the 1939 World Series and the 1941 World Series. And I'm thinking to myself, jackpot. Uh, but actually, they're only worth about $8, and that's in pristine condition. And uh, people, here's just, I, I don't want to get back into what we talked about yesterday, but uh, if if you are going to... Um, Save something because you think someday it might make money for somebody in the family, possibly yourself, perhaps to provide succor and support in your elderly years. Um, The condition of the object is everything collectors don't want something that is dog-eared collectors don't want something that is uh, just uh, you know it, there's got little rips in the pages and stuff so i have no idea if this stuff even has any value because it just wasn't uh, it wasn't taken care of if, if it's something that you think is going to be worth money then treat it as if it's going to be worth money. You don't just throw it in a box and, okay, if it creases, it creases. No big deal. People will still pay millions of dollars. It'll be like a Rembrandt. Uh, did find some uh, – oh, you're going to like this. How many How many of you live in West Falls? All right. How many of you uh, play baseball for the West Falls baseball team? Saw them play a lot at Ellicott, Ellicott Creek Park. <laughs> <laughs> different balls. But anyway, I uh, different ball game, I, I meant to say. Uh, but anyway, um, the uh, West Falls baseball team, I didn't know this. They actually played some really good games. They were a really good team. They may still be around. I have no idea. But found a couple of, uh, I think, circa 1977 programs from the West Falls baseball team. Um, I have some in my briefcase. So I'll see if I can't read some of that to you as we move along. But I really, I don't want to get back into the collectibles thing because yesterday's show was just so awesome that uh, I just it, it, it couldn't be it couldn't be redone. It's like, I can't I can't do it anytime again in the near future. Okay, because it would be just uh, absurdly redundant. Redundant. <laughs> anyway, well, that's the way it looks. You know, and uh, some, some of the other things that uh, my father saved. Now, my father's been dead since 2008. And I'll tell you, the, the really cool stuff that was in my dad's files that kept me awake literally all night long. Um, the other really cool thing I found was his, uh, his discharge. And I I put it under a microscope. his, His military discharge, his honorable discharge, and he even saved his draft notice. Like, whoa! Dude, and you could tell he was not happy to get that draft notice because that, of all the papers in his army file, that one seemed to have the most anger attached. I could feel the anger from his draft notice, but uh, it, it's it was really it was really quite cool. Uh, some old memoranda from the army, uh, requesting transfers, uh, being offered promotions, things like that, and. It was a real fascinating thing to look at, and he served in Korea when Korea was a hot war. And it was, see, the problem is it was so fascinating that it it, it took me a lot longer to go through it than it did going through brochures for Hoover vacuums that they bought back in 1958 that they held on to for whatever reason. Um, it's like, why do you save this crap? Anyway, because especially now everything's online. You you buy something, and first thing you do is you just throw out every bit of literature that came with it because everything's online. You maybe you do the warranty, the registration, but that's about it. Uh, but wow, it was it was just it was totally uh, totally fascinating, and I can't believe not one person is called Tanner even off air to say there's still a West Falls baseball team. Yeah, and it's really really good. That uh, that surprises me, but uh, yeah, I've got I've got some of your programs from uh, back in the I got to check the date, but the uh, 1970s that I brought along. But uh, let's see what else. Have note. Oh, found a signed Billy Shaw of the Buffalo Bills photograph from way back when, and several black and white photographs of Buffalo Bills in action in the 1960s that looked like they were from a newspaper. Uh, they were well no let me rephrase it. they they looked like they were taken by a photographer and then sold to the general public as photographs as opposed to anything else. and I actually looked some of those up on what is it Google lens and uh, some of them are actually worth like 30 bucks. I was I was rather stunned. so uh, anyway, Uh, That'll fill the gas tank and would have been hauling back and forth. But uh, today, I want to get into something a little bit different, if it's all the same with you. I I hope you don't mind these little trips and excursions down memory lane that uh, sometimes I will take when uh, talking about going through these old files and uh, things that, uh, you know, hey, somebody's got to do it. And then one of the things, I'm so glad that uh, you guys, somebody recommended a book on decluttering. And I read the book on decluttering, and one of the things that I ask myself as I go through um, all of this uh, junk from my parents' house is, does this have any meaning to me? Does it have any meaning to anybody, or is it just taking up space? And it's like a card. Some people, maybe you're one of these people, you save every card you have ever received. Every single card. Well... That's not a way to declutter the house. It really isn't because once a card has been sent and it has been read, it has fulfilled its purpose and may be disposed of right? Are we in agreement on that? Unless it's a really, really special card. Obviously, cards from ex-boyfriends, husbands, wives, girlfriends, they have to go out immediately, like the day after the breakup. Those I I will love you forever ones, those definitely go out into the the trash, uh, or they go into the bathroom for use as something else other than a card. But I, it's just, it's, it's, all I can say is, um, it's both fascinating and it is a little bit frustrating. All of the junk that people can save thinking it has meaning and value after, uh, 80, after 90 years on this planet, or in my father's case, almost 80 years on this planet. It's, uh, it's rather amazing. But I'll probably take the stuff to, uh, the, those baseball or those uh, sports member bill you guys they'll probably laugh me out of the place yeah they, they, they they'll probably laugh me out of the place and say yeah if there's a dumpster in back just dude save yourself some time just take it there so uh, there were no buffalo braves programs kind of surprising a bunch of uh, NHL programs from 1972. I guess 1972 was a very good year. Uh, I think that was the yeah that was the year I went to my first Sabers game because uh, there's no way the old man would have shelled out a buck or a buck fifty for a program unless I made him do it. So, just saying, I uh, gonna hold on to those. Nothing like seeing I say a scary sight at four in the morning when you're already bleary eyed and sleepless is. Bobby Clark's toothless grin, he of the Philadelphia Flyers, and type 1 diabetes. And he's still with us, Bobby Clark, as far as I know, anyway. So today on the program, um, and I I need Tanner to tell me if this is going to be an instant classic or instant Tom. Perhaps it's time you found a different line of work after all these years. Um, I'm going to take a risk. I'm going to take a chance. I'm going to take a leap of faith. But by golly, the, there's two levels to this show. I shouldn't really tell you this, but I think you're going to catch on anyway. It's like it's like how people caught on to, hey, your pet's the, your first pet's name and the street on which you grew up is your porn name, and supposedly it was a scam used by hackers to get the security questions for your accounts. I don't know how many people actually lost any information to hackers because of that. I think hackers are a little more sophisticated uh, than that at this point. But uh, um, my, my poor name is pretty is pretty funny. But anyway, um, <laughs> whoever would have thought we'd name a dog Dong? I mean, whoever thought fine Asian name? Anyway, um... <laughs> anyway, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Okay, I've got something a little bit different for you today, but let's let's see how this goes. You, as a human being, you have a passion. You have an interest. You have things that you find absolutely stimulating and amazing. You have things that you are so turned on by it is not funny. For example, just listen if you did not know David Bellavia, Medal of Honor recipient and the guy who does the great show before me giving me a great lead in every day. Uh, great show before I <clears throat> come on the air. So anyway, uh, you know what what, what does da- what is David into? Okay, David is obviously into the military. Okay. He talks about the military a lot. He's got great stories about the military. Medal of Honor recipient doesn't hurt the cause. So he's definitely interested in the military. He's definitely interested, a lot more than I am, in politics. And the other thing David is very interested in, and you can tell just by listening to him, is um, popular culture, in particular movies. And what people don't know, and I hope that David is not embarrassed when I mention this. He shouldn't be. David should never be embarrassed of anything in his entire life. You're kidding me? You've got a Medal of Honor. Um, you are no longer to be embarrassed by anything ever, except maybe working with me. Uh, but uh, David was a theater major. A theater major. So it really shouldn't surprise anybody that he is into popular culture and the movies. And the day Joker came out, we actually went to... Maple Ridge and we saw it together after a program and we both had the same reaction to it just a stunning performance but what I want to find out from yous guys don't you love it when people say that especially at a fancy restaurant how are you guys tonight oh we didn't dress up like this to be called yous guys really so uh, what what is or are your passions Now, on the surface, I'm truly interested in knowing what they are. Underneath, the occult layer of the program means if I find out your interests, then I have a better idea down the road of, okay, there's a choice between topic A and topic B. I'm going to go with the one where I think people have the most passion points. Uh Uh-huh. I'm just being—I'm just being honest with you. It's—it's it's not quite like asking for your porn name. Yes, the name of your first pet and the street name on which you grew up, but uh, for example, um, I like what are you a uh, uh, of what subject are you a buff? And we talked about this a little bit yesterday. But look, I have always been a buff of the presidency of the United States. It's probably because my mother, way back when, probably before I was even going to school, but honestly, I don't rightly remember, um, I'm pretty sure she taught me how to read before I was in kindergarten, and one of the ways she did that is she went through one of those newspaper ads right around this time of year, President's Day, and identified each and every president to me, and as shocking as this might be, at the age of three or thereabouts, I knew in order every president of the United States and found out later that my siblings used to make money off of betting their friends that their little brother could rattle off the names of the presidents of the United States of America. That's a true story. Uh, they never gave me a cut. I was just entertainment. See, like, you do the work and we'll take the money, was it. Kind of like what happens now. So, anyway, uh, 803-0930 is the number on WBN. So, uh it, it, we can also put that into subsections and again the show is not about me all right it it really it isn't about me it's about you i'm simply using myself as an as as an example as a guinea pig if you will um i'm i'm fascinated by presidential assassinations and the madness or the hatred that goes into a presidential assassination and the one of course with which i am um, most taken is the assassination of President Kennedy because the older I've become and the more I've learned about things, uh, the less and less and less I believe that Lee Oswald was the person we were told he was uh, and had anything to do with the assassination of uh, President Kennedy, that that was a CIA-led dirty op with cooperation from the mob and Cuban exiles and frankly, when you talk about those three groups of people, it's awfully difficult to differentiate one from the other because they all they're all part of the same stew. stew no, I, said, I said stew I never say stew. It's always stew. Did I I just said stew Tanner. Can you believe that?
3: It's like your version of cool whip
2: <laughs> Whip cool whip. You're eating hair. Um, Anyway, so of what are you a buff? And I'll give you more examples of my own buffness. but the only place I'm buff these days, believe me. Um, Have a hernia surgery. Okay, don't lift weights for two months. Oh, thanks a lot. Did me a lot of good. Uh, 803-0930, star 930, and 1-800-616-WBEN. I'm I'm fascinated to see, like, how much of a difference there is between the men and the women uh, of the program, but... What, what is uh, – of, of what are you a buff? If you see something pop up on your computer and it's an article about blank, you are obviously going to read it. Now, the problem w- that I have, and, and Wenger knows this all too well, is I'm a buff of a lot of things. I have a lot of interests, very eclectic interests. And that's why I said yesterday that the more I know, the more I realize I don't know. And it's frustrating because don't you want to know everything there is to know in the universe before you die and you realize that's an absolute impossibility? Yeah.
4: The spring back into your step and into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.
2: Uh, Brilliant, Tanner. Brilliant. Uh, So, what is or are your obsessions in life? And, I, 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 guys and ladies, I know this can be a killer topic. I mean, hey, I never expected the collections topic to be as awesome as it was yesterday, but it was great. And it wasn't because of me. It was because of you. And every caller had a fascinating tale to tell. And every caller... Um, was just great telling stories in a linear fashion. There was the only the only bad call, and I'm, I'm not picking on him because he was a really good guy and a great caller. The only thing that went wrong yesterday was the guy whose toy poodle started barking in the middle, <laughs> in the middle of the call. It was like, and I always imagine what it's like on your end as a caller. Don't bark now. Don't bark now. Don't bark now. Hello, you're on the air. Roof, roof, roof. It's like the same feeling I get, okay, doing doing this for a living. It's not like generally I can just answer a phone call as it comes in. There have been times, and I've been very upfront with you about it, when doctors or surgeons have called in the middle of the show, and I will just tell you I have to take this call. We're going to take an unexpected break. Um, But typically I can't just take routine phone calls um, when I'm on the air but it, it never it never fails to amaze me it, in much the same way as you think to yourself okay I finally am on the air and then everybody starts to call you at the same time and your phone you just hear it clicking in and out of all the times in the day they have to call you the minute you go on the air when you don't want to be distracted right <laughs> I mean, I'm sure it happens to you too um, it's like The same rule of the universe that the server always asks you how the food is at the exact moment you what? At the exact moment you have just put a big piece into your mouth and have begun to masticate. I said masticate. That is, there's certain things that just happen to everybody, and I don't know what it is, but there are certain laws of the universe where I think sometimes the universe just likes to give us the bird, and I don't know if you know this, but the bird, 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 the bird is the word. Maybe Tanner will find that from Family Guy. But um, what of, of what subjects or people or objects are you a buff? Now, this is not the collector's show. Okay, we, we did that yesterday. But and as I mentioned, one of the issues that I have, and I'm, I did mention yesterday that uh, I donated – a lot of books, hundreds, maybe even over a thousand books to charity over the years because my house was, my house looked more like a library, and I'm at that point in life where I think to myself, hey, anything I really need to know, I'm going to find the answer to it on the internet, with the exception of a few books, which are books I like to read over and over and over and over and over again. Um, But... There are so many things of which I am a buff. For example, um, true crime. And I have been a buff of true crime, and I'm not exaggerating, since around the age of five years old, possibly a little younger, possibly a little older. And those of you who are longtime listeners to the show, the very first book My Mommy Bought Me was a book about what? Was it "See Dick Run? which they do teach you about in Army basic training, I'm told. But did they (laughs) – this is my – never mind. Uh, My very first book, I'm not – I wish I could tell you that this is false, but it's not. very first book that my mother bought at my request was um, The History of the FBI. (laughs) It's a book about the history of the FBI. I kid you not. Six years old, I'm reading about J. Edgar Hoover – and Melvin Purvis, and the Barker gang. And I don't know why I've always found that stuff fascinating. And I think that probably watching Dragnet on TV, which was one of my parents' favorite TV shows, I think that had something to do with it. But true crime stuff, I'm definitely a buff of. And it's kind of sad in a way because when you're talking about true crime, if you've been a victim of a true crime there's not a lot to say, oh, I'm a buff of that crime because it destroyed your family. It destroyed your life. And it's like when people say, well, I'm a buff of he, He's a buff of the Kennedy assassination. A buff? No, that kind of, it, it's not really the right word. It is a subject of great interest to me, um, however. True crime. Uh, Jack the Ripper. Uh, sixth grade, most kids are seeing for the first time. My goodness, I've got hair coming out of my body places it's never been. And I was reading up on Jack the Ripper. Maybe I'm a serial killer at heart. Uh, there, I've, that thought has crossed my mind, but I'm just not a violent person, so <laughs> that kind of rules that out right there. Uh, nor am I a psychopath, possibly a sociopath, but that's, that's I'll let you decide that. <laughs> Anyway, no, I'm not really. Uh, what else? No, I'm I'm entertainment moody, which is a lot different than being a sociopath or a psychopath. Yes, I'm entertainment moody. It's not bipolar. It's entertainment moody. Because when you're working, you got to be really, really up. And then when people see you out, and you're not, uh, you know, smiling from ear to ear and hey, how you doing? Good. Hey, good life of the party. Yeah. Hey, have another drink? Can I buy? Can I buy you dinner? Can I take you home? Um, it's not it's not like that. Like anybody else, I like to chill out generally. Um, I do enjoy meeting people who listen to the show, no doubt about it, 99.99% of the time, and then there's that little fraction of time where, hey, I might be having a really crappy day, and it has nothing to do with you, Um, I might have just found out that my car needs $1,000 in repairs that I wasn't counting on having done. Uh, so, you know, we, I'm just, I'm just letting you know, if you see me out most of the time, I'm really happy to meet people who listen to the show. Cause without you, I wouldn't be here and I wouldn't have the money to go out. Uh, but there are times where, you know, I, I can be a Richard, but a lot less now than I used to be. Cause it, I, I was a total tool 15 years ago. And I have apologized for that. I was a total ass and I'm not going to lie. Uh, now I'm just a partial ass. <laughs> so I've made some improvements over the years. Um, what else? Oh, uh, I'm also a buff of the Great Lakes. The Great Lakes to me and the shipwrecks of the Great Lakes are a source of fascination, and I shall tell you why. It's got to be in the blood. On my mother's side, the Coast Guard commander, Willis Brusso was a great uncle of mine. And on my father's side, he would always take us every summertime to the locks of the Welland Canal at Thorold. Why? Because they had a french fry stand there, and people watching the lake boats would load up on french fries, and they were really super good. But an old girlfriend, a lovely lady, a really terrific person, bought a book, yes, bought a book at a mall. Talk about feeling old. She bought a book at a mall, and it was called Ghost Ships of the Great Lakes by Dwight Boyer. Might be Boyer, I don't know, but Dwight Boyer out of Cleveland. And I started reading this book, which is essentially about Great Lakes shipwrecks. I could not put it down. It was so compelling, and I'm telling you, it's got to be in the blood. It was so compelling that I think I own every book, and these are ones that I did not give away. I think I've read every single book ever written by Dwight Boyer about the Great Lakes because he's such an amazing storyteller. He tells stories about the personalities, the men and women and boats of the Great Lakes like Jim Bishop wrote about Jesus or wrote about the day Lincoln was shot. Just a very compelling story writer, a tremendous writer. You might be a buff of books. You might stay abreast of the New York Times bestseller list. You might be a David Bellavia buff. You might have every book Bellavia's ever written. I can't even seem to get one going. But anyway, that's another story. Um, 803-0930 is the number. And again, this is not a show about me. Uh, I must tell you, though, my tastes, my, my buffness is extremely eclectic. If you were to go through my books, you would say, wait. He's interested in the way he's also interested in that and he's interested in that. But really, like, believe it or not, I'm a buff. Don't laugh of medieval British history and the monarchy. I I, I can't tell you why. I just am. And again, it's got to be in the blood because the DNA literally I've got more. Uh, I've got more English blood I think than I do German blood which you'd never well let me rephrase it more cousins in the UK Ireland Scotland, England than I do in Germany according to the DNA testing uh, population results that come back. So of what are you a buff and is there anybody else like here's here's something that bothers me because I think I'm weird and it's, it, <laughs> yeah don't, do you think so Tom? Yeah just a little bit. I mean, so, no, I, I I think I'm a little bit weird because my interests are so varied and I get so passionate about so many different things, which, if you're doing this for a living, by the way, is it, it's not a bad thing because you don't want to be a one-trick pony. Uh, 803-0930, star 930, and 1-800-616-WBEN. See, another thing I'm a buff of is figuring out from where expressions originated. I just said, I don't want to be a one-trick pony. And I have no idea where that originated, how it originated, or how long it's been part of our vernacular. So I'm going to look that up. I always want to know as much as I can about everything. And that's 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 a thing of which I am a buff. So are you guys following along? I hope I'm explaining this properly. Um, and if I'm not, the show's going to suck. But if I am, it's going to be a great show. 803 803- 930 is the phone number. Ooh, I think I see a little sun outside. No, I got to be hallucinating. All right, 803-0930 is the phone number in the 716. Uh, star 930 on the cell phone and 1-800-616-WBEN. Let's go to Ron in uh, Chictahuaga on WBEN. Ron, I'm trying to find out of what, uh, of what my audience is a buff, and uh, you're on WBEN. Uh, what tickles your fancy, sir?
5: Okay, good uh, time, time. Shows great as always, especially even yesterday's. Um, got a, uh, I've been a buff on.
2: Wait, so wait, I- wait, 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 What do you mean even yesterday's? Did you think it was going to suck when <laughs> I, I came on? That might not have came out right. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. Easy. No, I'm not. I'm not offended, but it was like, yeah, Tom. Even yesterday's was good. <laughs> it's like, but oh wow. The- it's like it's like saying, uh, wow, you're even a good kisser. Oh, well, gee, thanks. You know not Go there. We? <laughs> <laughs> um, Depends. I, you know, uh, no, what's I'm on your mind on quickly? I've been
5: uh, fly fishing for close to 50 years. I started when I was 20. And I've been blessed because I've been able to go. I fly fished in Montana, I fly fished in Alaska, all through New York State. And it's just been, I guess, more more of an obsession. I have books, fly tying things. I make my own rods. I build my own flies. Tie my own
2: flies. How okay? Um, now you're gonna have to forgive <laughs> my stupidity here, but have you seen the Robert Redford movie A River Runs Through It?
5: Oh yeah. <laughs> is now <laughs> that, that is
2: movie. that is about among other things, fly fishing is the central theme. Correct. Correct. And I, I could never figure out, because I only saw the movie in its entirety once, if fly fishing was a metaphor for something else in the movie. Have you gotten that far in your analysis of the film?
5: Uh, I lost you for a second. My my phone's going in and out. I'm sorry.
2: Do, do you think that fly fishing <laughs> in, in, the mo- in, in the movie A River Runs Through It is a metaphor for something else in the movie? I did, it was a rather
5: deep movie. I think it was more about a person's relationship to himself.
2: Hmm.
5: That's what I think it was about more than fly fishing.
2: So what do you, um, what do you think of when you're fly fishing? And could you describe in a few words, what makes fly fishing such a magical thing for you? Well, it, it gives you this,
5: like a, a sense of freedom. I mean, you're there, you're in the outdoors. Uh, one thing you do not think about at all is work. I mean, you know, you're just part of you're part of nature, and it is so different because it is actually so relaxing, and uh, it's just it's just an incredible experience.
2: Um, and, now, this is going to be a stupid question, but what makes <laughs> fly fishing different than other kinds of fishing?
5: I, in my opinion, I think it's more. Challenging because, like I said, you're using. If you, if you're a purist, like I guess you might want to say I am, you, um, I tie my own flies, and it is just such an exhilarating feeling when you catch a fish on a fly that you tied. I mean, and then it is even more of a challenge to get the position of the fly. I mean, you're it's it's almost like hunting. You're very stealthy and everything, and it's it's great. It really is great.
2: And the target, <laughs> the, as I understand it, the target of fly fishing would predominantly be fish that would be considered predators. Is that correct?
5: Well, uh, basically, you can, you know, you can. Uh, I fly fish for everything. I mean, I mm. fish for fly fish for uh, um, bass, I uh, trout, salmon, even carp. Carp is a blast. It's like hooking into a freight train.
2: <laughs> it really is. They'll take you. For I believe a walk. you. Uh, look, uh, Ron, h- hold on if you want to and shake the walk. I'd love to talk to you more about fly fishing. I want to find out what your passion is of what are you a buff. And fly fishing, I didn't see that one coming. I thought fishing might come up, but specifically f- uh, fly fishing, no. And honestly, I have a lot of questions for Ron because I've never fished in my life. And I don't mean any disrespect to those of you who are outdoors people, but I just hunting and fishing just isn't something that I'm into. I'd rather be, if the truth be told, I'd rather be in a pool in Jamaica sipping a cocktail with my wife. I mean, that's my idea of water fun. Uh, It is uh, 257 at News Radio 930 WBEN, and it is Bowerly saying we have the news coming up. (laughs) Got out of that one, didn't I, Tanner? I almost was going to go into a live spot, but I I held back. Uh, Tanner Saunders at Master Control Behind the Glass. Of what are you a buff? Come on. You've got hobbies. You've got passions. I want to know what they are because, A, I think it's a great topic. B, it allows me entry into your mind. So if it ever comes to a point where I'm saying to myself, uh, do I do topic A or topic B today, I'll have a better read for where you, the audience, are. Okay? It's kind of a greedy topic. I'm picking your mind. I'm like a hacker of your mind. But it's for your own good young man, young lady. 803-0930, star 930, one 616 wben
4: After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medella, is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you
5: know,
2: the bigger the fight, the better the reward. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. It is uh Bowerly on News Radio 930 WBEN. And today, talking to you about um your passions. Like your friends might say Oh, he's such a buff of. Uh, she is such a buff of hunting. She's such a buff of knitting or crocheting. She's such a Michael Kors buff. Oh. I actually threw out Michael Kors. Hey, you weren't expecting that on this show, were you? Uh, anyway, 803-0930, star 930, 1-800-616-WBEN. Uh, let's get back to Ron in Chitawaga, who has uh, who has a uh, uh, a buffery, uh, not, not buffoonery, but he is a big fan of fly fishing. And for how long have you been a fan of fly fishing?
5: Well, I'm going to be 70, so I started when I was about 20. So it's been, you know, over 50 years and most.
2: So b- prior to fly fishing, were you just a regular angler?
5: Yes, yes. And then I got into something I wanted to try to do, and um, I saw it, and I just uh, basically uh, the way I got started is my wife got me started in it to get me out of her hair. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that's the well, that's the truth. But then I you once I picked up on it, it was just you know like almost no 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 stopping.
2: So ex- explain to people like me uh, and other people who might not be outdoorsy, like. And I'm not trying to be disrespectful of you in any way, because why would I be? Because you seem like a perfectly nice fellow, and you certainly have been you know pleasant to speak with and everything else. But fishing holds, no pun intended, no allure to me whatsoever. I think I would be bored out of my mind sitting on a boat or standing in a stream with a pole in my hand waiting for something to come along and bite. I think within about 15 minutes, I'd say, all right, time to go home.
5: Well, that's why fly fishing is different, because you're always moving around. You're using the rod as a tool. You're going, you're casting, um, you're you're, you're finding your targets. You think walking on uh, regular walking for exercise. You start walking through a stream, you get exercise. Walking with the current is fine, but if you've got to come back and you walk against that current, you know you're doing some serious walking. So you're always doing something. That's one thing that I got too. Sometimes it was very boring just sitting there, you know, basically drowning worms. And this way, I mean, you're, you're always moving. You're always in, in touch with something.
0: Hmm.
2: Um, now, I, I think every hunter has a dream um, quarry that they would like to bag. Uh, For example, one of the states, I I forget which one, but one of the states uh, uh, issues uh, a few hundred licenses every year to go hunt elk. And they're very sought after in the hunting community, like winning the lottery to get an elk license. Is there a particular fish that is like catching Bigfoot or catching the Loch Ness Monster for you?
5: Um, Yes, I enjoy fishing for salmon. In our lake, uh, in the fall season when they're coming in to spawn, uh, I do enjoy the Lake Ontario trips for salmon, and then also for steelhead because they do put up quite a fight. And uh, like I said, you land a 20-pound, 20 25-pound fish, and what you're using is 8-pound test line as your tippet. It really, um, it really is a thrill to bring it to be able to bring that in.
2: And you eat what you catch.
5: Uh, Most of the time it's catch and release. If I don't feel like I will uh, let it go, Uh, but I will not let anything go to waste if I do decide to keep it.
2: No, that's, that's, I mean, the whole catch and release thing fascinates me. I've got, uh, well, somebody very close to me, I'll put it that way, who uh, is a uh, fisherman and that's what he does. He, he, he fishes, catches and releases. And uh, I'm thinking to myself, Wow, have you priced salmon lately? I mean, you're, you're releasing seventy bucks.
5: Um, you might not believe this, but if you want to check it out personally, sometimes one of the best places that I, well, one of the places I frequent, I like to go fishing, is over by Amherst State Park. Really? Um, and I have taken steelhead. I have taken a thirty-inch fish out of that fishery. That's Ellicott Creek there. Yes.
2: I'll be I'll be darned because I you know what for as many times and I know that this is uh, upstream a bit but as many times as I have stared into the water from the bridge over Main Street in Williamsville looking down into Ellicott Creek wondering if I should end it all um, I, 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 I I've never seen a single fish in that water I've seen kayakers but they tend they tend to be very offended if you start dangling something uh, like you know with a worm at the end of it um,
5: Believe it or not, the steelhead will run as far as the falls, over by Glen Falls, by uh, the Glen Falls. They will run, they will hold in that area. Wow,
2: I'll be darned. I've I've seen people fishing in the area, but I've never seen a fish. I've, I don't think I've ever seen anybody land anything. But uh, that's that's pretty cool. Uh, very interesting, Ron. And I, I guess the other question I had for you is, uh, being. Um, a fly fisherman is it expensive? What kind of gear do you need and what kind of expense do you run?
5: Um, you can spend anywhere from for a decent outfit uh, from basically to get started, which I'd recommend is around a hundred dollars and um, but you could also spend up of several thousand dollars. I mean you get you see it and you say what a bamboo rod? Oh, yeah, take a check on, on, on the prices of bamboo
2: rods. Some go as high as $1,800. bucks. i will be, I'll be darned. Um, well, Ron, thank you very much. I, I appreciate the call uh, tremendously. Thank you.
5: All right, thank you.
2: Uh, all right, uh, there's Ron, who is into fly fishing. So if you're just joining us, welcome to the program. And I've been dying to do this topic, so don't you dare let me down. Don't you don't even think about letting me down. Don't you don't want me heading into the weekend thinking vile thoughts, do you? I think not. Um, People say, oh, he's such a buff of something. In other words, you are so passionate about something. Uh, For example, again, Uh, this is not a show about me. And let me tell you about me. What do you think about me? I'm only bringing up examples from my own life, because it's the only one I'm currently leading. Uh, But the uh, like, okay, it sounds really stupid to say this, but I'm a Civil War buff. True story. And I think the word Buff is probably not the best word to use because we're talking about a significant number of men and women who lost their lives in the Civil War, either in combat, mostly in disease, or in the destruction of the South toward the end of the war. Um, Sherman's army basically committed atrocities and war crimes uh, that were... Let's put it this way: They would have been they would have been at Nuremberg uh, if uh, the war had gone differently in a different era. Uh, they were bastards. Um, they they were. I know the country was at war, and that's what you have to do to win a war. But uh, they were just playing inhumane. Sherman's army uh, on the march to the sea. Uh, but uh, for example, uh, Gettysburg. Uh, am I a Gettysburg buff? Well, I'm very passionate about Gettysburg because it was such an important battle in such an important time in American history, and it was as close to a must-win battle as possible. And when you consider all of the variables at play before the Battle of Gettysburg, which took place on Wednesday, July 1st through Friday, July 3rd of 1863, not that far away from us in Buffalo, down in Gettysburg, PA, it really is amazing. And what fascinates me, and I guess that's the real question, what fascinates you? What are you into? Of what might you be called a buff? Even though buff doesn't really do it justice when you're talking about sacrifices made by so many people. um, But when you consider all of the variables that went into that battle, the fact that Robert E. Lee had just lost Stonewall Jackson uh, after Chancellorsville a short time before, Uh, when you consider the fact that Robert E. Lee at Gettysburg was suffering the nasty effects of diarrhea, a very common malady in any wartime situation or traveling situation, and this was well before they had baby wipes. So Robert E. Lee was no doubt quite irritated in more ways than one. When you consider that two words might have decided the battle of Gettysburg on the first day when Lee told General Ewell to get those people, the Union soldiers, off of Cemetery Hill, quote, if practicable, if practicable, if he hadn't put those two words in, the Confederate artillery might very well have broken the Union line on the, at the Cemetery Ridge uh, at Gettysburg. Uh, when you consider the propitious appearance of Joshua Lawrence Chamberlain and Erie, Pennsylvania's strong Vincent on the second day of the battle, when you consider the fact that the guy who was fighting in charge of the Union Army was a native Pennsylvanian by the name of George Meade, and he had just taken control of the Army of the Potomac, it is an amazing story and am I a buff of Gettysburg? Well, yeah, I am, although I don't feel entirely comfortable saying I'm a buff of the battle because of all the horrible suffering that went on as a result of that battle. Um, it was gruesome, it was grisly, and the courage on both sides is just remarkable. When you, If you've ever walked the scene of Pickett's Charge, and I have, you realize the ground undulates. It's not like a football field. You're walking up and down these little swales in the ground. And these men of the Confederate Army held ranks in the face of ferocious artillery fire from the front and from the right flank on Little Round Top. They were getting hit from well two out of four possible directions, and yet they kept coming and coming. And some of them actually made it to the stone wall where the Union Army had taken a very strong defensive position. There are so many variables that went at, that were at work that day, including a shortage of water. Well, this was July second, a shortage of water which delayed the Confederate assault on Little Round Top because the soldiers were dehydrated. And what happens when you get dehydrated? Ask the Buffalo Bills in 2022 in Miami. You get muscle cramps. They couldn't do it. They had to wait for fresh canteens. If not for these little quirks of history, these little nuances history might have been entirely different so that's a passion point with me what are your passion points what are you into some of you are really into politics i am not particularly uh but some of you are here's dan in uh on the west side dan you're on WBEN dan uh, what is your pet pa- what are your passion points you don't have to limit it to one
1: i'm a multi buff and collector um i'll give you an example my library um, my Kipling collection is on the top shelf, and it's bracketed by vintage wrestling action figures. How's that? Um,
2: <laughs> I love it. Wait, like, are we talking um, Bruno? Are we talking Bruno Martino and Tony Parisi? Or are we talking Hulk Hogan? Freddie
1: Blassie, Freddie Blassie and Abdullah the Butcher. Oh my and, goodness! And there, How about Furpo? And there's a little Ilio DiPello from the restaurant next, um, um, but. But you know, I mean, I mean, I've I've got books, I've got movies. Of course, the DVDs are not collectible, um, but but I've got a targeted. I've got hundreds. I've know guys with more DVDs than I do, but mine mine are targeted. I went online and found movies by movie, my you know, fa- favorites and classics and stuff I liked when I was a kid. I've got TV shows from the fifties. And st- all kinds of stuff. Um, the two best detective shows ever: Eighty Seventh Precinct and Naked City. And I've got the whole the whole series of both. Oh. Um, and and you know what? A Friend of mine bought me the Naked City series, and I said, "No, I got to get Eighty Seventh Precinct." Robert <laughs> Lansing. He was he, yep. he was my he was my uh, absolute hero when I was a kid. Was, you know, from. Uh, you know, the B-17 series, I'm going to – I'm I also I don't remember.
2: Okay, so, now, since you are a buff, since you're a fan of old TV shows, have you ever caught any of the episodes of I Led Three Lives? The um, story of Herbert Kilburg. Okay, shows he,
1: was that I guy, watched. he was the guy
2: – he was the guy – okay, he was an FBI informant. He played a communist, and he was also an advertising executive. And he was basically a like a almost like a double agent. Well, he he was a provocateur actually. But anyway, it,
1: it's a, it's hard yeah. for me to remember. And I mean, I was a pretty grown up kid in grammar school. I used to watch Jack Parr, and I'd get them to let me stay up once in a while. Good for you. But uh, but um, I mean, I but my collectible my collections branch out. Um, I had I had firearms. There. Most of them have been sold off by now. But I had a Webley Mark Six, like the one um, that Peter O'Toole had in Lawrence, um, which was not correct for World War One, by the way. The Mark Six came out after World War One. But I had a World War Two Thirty Eight, which they hated in World War Two. But I found one that was so nice, I had to get it. Um, wow! Stuff like that, um, and um, I restored. A um, uh, number four uh, Enfield. I mean, when I was I had my arm in a sling, it was a labor of love. Huh. Um, stuff like I mean, you know, taking a
2: shower was a labor of love. Then, come on, one arm. Try that sometime. <laughs> not fun. Well, basic hygiene. Not fun with a broken arm. But I'm it was say. it
1: was slow going. But it was but the re, but going online all over the world to finding parts. I mean, I would end up with two parts. Um, a two of a particular part because I would find I would buy one and then I'd find one with the right manufacturer markings, you know oh. stuff like that and and um, I had a, I passed up a chance to get the whole wood set for that thing because it was too much money and then they never saw one again. so I, so when it, I had when it put comes- together parts.
2: When, now, we did the collectible show yesterday, but in this case, your collections are a reflection of what we're talking about today, your passion points. Now, I've got to take a break, but when we come back, I want to find out why you think you're interested in so many different things and if you see a common thread that runs through them. So, ponder that if you would. Uh, we're talking about your passion points. Uh, when somebody describes you, they say, wow, he or she is such a buff of – and, again, sometimes the word buff is not really appropriate. Like, oh, he's a Kennedy assassination buff. Excuse me, but a president got whacked in broad daylight in Dallas in 1963. Kind of hard to say you're a buff of that. I think you can be a student of it, and it certainly is a passion point with me. It's an area of great interest. Um, and don't laugh. Don't laugh. But I'll tell you another thing that of which I am a buff. Biblical archaeology. I know for a guy who does not believe in any specific religion, biblical archaeology I find beyond fascinating. Like, it is, I could spend hours watching documentaries and reading books on biblical archaeology. True story. Okay, 803, come on guys, more participation from you, because this, this topic kicks butt, okay? It kicks butt. Eight zero three oh nine thirty. If you say so, Tom. Star nine thirty on the cell so cell phone one eight hundred six one six W B E N. This is kind of appropriate, Uh, Tanner Saunders. uh, Yeah, Steely Dan, definitely uh, one of my passion points. I'm a Steely Dan buff, and uh, hey, I'm glad I've seen them as many times as I have, because God knows if I'll ever have a chance to see them again. Uh, Mrs. Bowerly is not a big Steely Dan fan, uh, but I think she'd go just to keep me company and uh, look at me and roll her eyes (laughs) my joy of seeing Steely Dan. Anyway, uh, it is... uh, 339 News Radio 930 WBEN It's Bowerly. Pardon me, a hiccups, great time for that. Um, that's a good sound. Um, of what are you a buff? You might be a buff of stand up comedy. You might be a buff of soap operas. Although, if you're listening to this show this afternoon, you probably are doing that instead of listening to this. Uh, but anyway, of what are you a buff? And do you have many areas of buffdom? Like Dan in. Uh, uh, West Buffalo. Uh, let's get back to Dan Tanner. If you could bring him up, I just uh, did something stupid with the computer, which uh, I've been known to do every now and again, but just every now and again. Uh, getting back to uh, Dan Dan, uh, we left off talking about your uh, variety of areas of uh, of interest. Now, I, as I said, we're not doing the collectible show again, but you can often gauge somebody's uh, what somebody is a buff of by uh, what they tend to collect. And I think we're talking about uh, firearms.
4: We
1: did get we did get into that. Yeah, I mean, um, the stuff. I mean. You know, when you go broke from time to time and you have to go sell stuff, you're going to be selling it to the stores because New York doesn't allow private. You know, you'll never see the collector price for any, anything now, so it's a heartbreak. But it's a heartbreak anyway. You know, the the Enfield, the number four Enfield I restored, it was because I rescued it. It was It had been sporterized. And as long as the barrel's not cut, you can still restore it. Um, it was
2: a rescue this, gun. It looked it looked up at you from the kennel with those big eyes, and it, its big, tail big was wagging. And, 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 and you, and you had eyes. to bring it home. Yeah,
1: I I had to. I didn't. I called it a restoration, but it was just the wood on a Springfield o3 A three, but it was made by Smith Corona, the typewriter company, and um, and it's the one I always wanted. So. It, it was the, a, a, sports, a sportsman had refinished it in urethane, which is good for outdoors but horrible for collectors. Hmm. So I, I I brought that to a furniture restoration place. I mean, just the just the wood, and they did a beautiful job stripping it. But I but I mean, this is the stuff you go. And I'm a, I'm a multi collector because the stuff branches out. And plus, you know, like if you're a movie freak, you're gonna end up with stuff. You know, and I have stuff from the 70s, you know, like, like there was a Lone Ranger production. I've got a drink cup from that. It was, nobody even remembers it, but Clinton Spillsbury played the Ranger. And, um, in the first Star Trek movie, I've got the drink cup from then. I've got all kinds of souvenirs.
2: Well, I want to. I um, just. I just. I want to make it clear. We're not doing collectibles today. We're not doing collectibles today. We. We did collectibles yesterday. I don't want people to think that. Oh, Tom ran out of topics. Uh, but I thought today would be a good juxtaposition, um, as far as gauging um, where people's heads were at in terms of being a, a in- interested, especially interested in something. You know, the one thing that kind of surprises me, Dan, is. You haven't mentioned the Buffalo Bills, the Buffalo Sabers, the NFL, or anything like that.
1: I I have original um, merchandise from the the Buffalo Braves f- from the odd, and I have a box of this stuff because um, after they after they shut down, a, a store guy that I know, had a, had had a bunch of it, and I bought it from him when he closed. Um, and I've, I've made some good money on that stuff because there are real diehard collectors, but I've still got a box of jewelry, Buffalo Braves, original Buffalo Braves jewelry. So and, of,
2: everything, uh, of everything about which you have a passion, of everything that is a passion point for Dan, if you had to narrow it down to the top two, what would those top two be?
1: Well, I mean, the the braves come from the fact that I worked at the odd when I was a kid and, you know, I met the wrestlers, all kind of stuff, you know, and um, so I have sentimentality. I mean, stuff that I liked when I was in grammar school, I've got, you know, stuff from there You know, because the interests are there. They branch out and you just, you know, you're having fun with it. And that's that's why I've got so many. I've got. Well, I mean, you don't want to talk about the collector, collectibles, no, I but I mean, my house, you know, the, the, the Adams family song, the, their house is a museum. Come, yeah. try coming <laughs> here someday. Um, but uh, that, that's, but that's, you know, but it's fun. You know, I mean, um, I have a, back when the man from uncle and the, and the James Bond movies were, were huge, um, they were selling all kinds of stuff i've got a spy camera that unfolds into a gun you know a cap gun and this kind of stuff i mean it's i mean you you just end up branching 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 out because you know you make fines and you say oh boy That's i mean and and you know plus i had stuff from Origin that I originally had from when I was a kid that I managed to hold on to and the all kinds of. I mean, you know, it's a, de- it's a definitely demented. Uh, process. I
2: think, but I don't think it's demented. I think, it look, I, I think when you are, personally, I think when you're interested in a whole bunch of things, and a whole bunch of different areas of life, you are living life to the fullest. And some people are specialists. You are a generalist. And one thing that you will always be able to say on your deathbed, I mean, of course, there won't be anybody there to listen to you, but one thing you'll be able to think on your deathbed is, you know what? I found interesting stuff in this life, and I learned as much as I could about it, and it enriched my experience in the brief time on this planet. Uh, I thank you, Dan, very much. I appreciate it.
1: I've got a prediction for you.
2: On um, what?
1: You eventually will branch into Bible study, because you've been around the edges of it, and... Um, once you learn about the dispensations and all this kind of thing, you'll be there. Um, no, I'm interested. In,
2: thank you. I I, I doubt it. Um, I'm interested in biblical archaeology, um, but I'm uh, I'm I'm far too skeptical to be um, a religious person. Um, that does not mean I don't believe in God, but I just I need to I need to have a case proven beyond a reasonable doubt and it's just uh, that's my nature it's just uh, how i am with uh, pretty much everything um hey don't feel bad <laughs> look look at how look i think i'm the only person in the media saying of the day of the eclipse i predict it's going to be cloudy gloomy and rainy but only after we start off with a cloudless sky in the morning it will become gradually cloudier during the day and by the three o'clock hour it's going to be a thunderous rainstorm <laughs> With a very low cloud deck, but always you know, playing for the worst in these things. Um, let's get back to the calls. No, but biblical archaeology. I mean, you want to talk about? I mean, obviously, we're not we're not talking about collectibles today. We're talking about the stuff in which you are especially interested. And I'm going to waive uh, this week the uh, one call per person per week, um, especially for Rambo Jim, um, because Rambo Jim, I can almost sense. You know, see, Rambo Jim would be a great caller on this show. That's why we're going to let him through again if he's listening and wants to get in, because Rambo Jim has so many wide and disparate interests that we we have so many things in common and that multiplicity of interests would be one of those things, except I've never jumped out of an airplane into the jungles of Panama. Uh, Steve in Orchard Park, you're on WBEN. Hello. 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 Sir.
6: I'm sorry, I didn't hear that.
2: I said, sir. You said hello. I said, sir. I oh, could have said hello okay. back, but we well, could a say pleasure hello talking to each
6: other. I love your, uh, love your show. It's absolutely fantastic.
2: You're very kind. Thank you.
6: What I, uh, what I actually do is collect intertidal oceanic beach sand from around the world. I believe I have the world's largest collection.
2: I'm sorry, you're... You're, I don't know what you, Oce- Oceanic Beach, what? O- Oceanic Beach
6: Sand. Oh. Sands. It's from all over the world. I have the largest collection, I believe, in the world from 82 different countries and territories. So and I why? About 252 samples.
2: Why the passion for beach sand? This, uh, again, uh, this is a cousin <laughs> to yesterday's show, but we're not doing collectibles again, I uh, promise okay. you. It's
6: a passion. It, it's
2: it, a passion. It, is, it is a passion, and what got you interested in it? And see, I asked that question because one of the things they did before the D-Day invasion, World War Two, is also a right. passion of mine, is they sent um, uh, 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 intelligence agents to the shores around France and they right. took soil samples. See, you already know what I'm going to say. Yeah. Uh, they took soil samples to determine the weight of the vehicles, uh, how heavy they could be before they would mire down in the sand. Uh, Steve, I, I'm fascinated by what you're into, and it's so cool because I thought you were going to say something about geology. I thought somebody was no. going to say something about geology. How did this interest begin, sir?
6: Well, I went to school in Oswego State, graduated Oswego in 1984. 485 with a degree in geology, uh, also a background in physics. So I worked in Niagara Falls. I actually supervised drilling rig operations in Niagara Falls along the Robert Moses Parkway. So I became really interested in environmental issues, especially in geology. And I remember taking a class in college on the differences of beach sand. So I started to collecting uh, just intertidal means Between the Tides, intertidal beach sand from various oceans. And I started with the Southamptons in 1991 and now I've got 82 or 83 countries of the world and 252 samples.
2: So do you visit these places yourself or do you have friends and colleagues uh, pick them up right. on trips? Or
6: Great question. I have lots of friends uh, all over the place and I would ask them if they go on their honeymoon think of me. <laughs> and uh, they,
0: they would just go
6: and <laughs> Pick, pick up some sand for me, but I had to give him strict instructions. It must be intertidal. Between the tides, I say pick up the sand where you leave footprints on the beach. So not in the water and not on the, the high beach, of course. You see? Because I'm looking for native, original, or indigenous sands.
2: Okay. I so can't, that, I, say, okay I'm sorry. Steve, I, I beg your pardon, Steve. Um, yeah. Can you hold on during the news break? Because when, when you talk about passions... I didn't see this one coming from a mile away. I thought geology <laughs> might come up, but the intertidal yep, the beach sands. Yes, correct. But th- I, I am fascinated by what you're saying, and I want to find I've out also, more. Good. I, I want to find out more about your passion. But I got to put you on hold, otherwise, okay. I'm going to get I'm going to get in trouble with the programming gods. Lisa Polizzi may be in love with me as a professional talent, but uh, she will not be in love with me long if I am late to the break. Nor will. Uh, Max Ferry. Uh, it is Bowerly uh, professionally. Big difference. I love Lisa professionally. Uh, nothing HR about that. I have tremendous and abiding respect for her as I do almost for Tanner Saunders. He's getting there. He's He's moving up the ladder a bit. Oh, I so want to see back to the bars tomorrow night. Uh, I want to see a new band tonight that I haven't seen before, uh, place I've been before. But uh, we uh, we shall see. It is uh, nine minutes after uh, four at News Radio nine thirty W B E N. Bower late with you, and you know, yesterday we did a show on what it is you collect, and today it's kind of a like a a second cousin of that show, doing what is your passion point or what are your passion points? And I have a wide variety of interests. And when I'm interested in something, I tend to do deep dives into that in which I have an interest. And I've mentioned World War II um, in many respects. World War One, to me, well, it obviously set the stage for World War II, but World War One have long been fascinated by that, and I'm old enough to have actually met at least one guy who was a World War One United States Army veteran who uh, was in the trenches. And actually, my grandfather was a World War One Navy veteran, but... Um, when I came around, he was uh, basically in a coma at that point, so um, I guess I can say I came face-to-face with two World War One veterans, and that conflict has always uh, just uh, amazed me. Uh, in particular, the uh, surprise the Serbs gave the Austro-Hungarians, uh, the Austro-Hungarian uh, uh, soldiers, uh, ran into uh, somewhat fiercer opposition than they thought they would in the early going of the conflict. Uh, the Serbs uh, proved themselves to be uh, pretty, pretty incredible fighters. But anyway, uh, World War I. And how could I possibly, well, there's two things I'm also passionate about. Uh, remember the fart show we did? That was one month ago today. <laughs> no, I, don't think, I don't think, I think it was over a month ago today. Uh, but no, but seriously, the, the other thing is uh, Shakespeare. Um, and it's not, it, it's not because, okay, as you know, and we did a show about words earlier this week, I really enjoy words and I really enjoy people who can string words together. And Shakespeare, I don't look at Shakespeare as poetry, I look at Shakespeare like I would a movie. Shakespeare was basically Andrew Lloyd Webber of his day. He put out better plays than most other people on a regular basis, and he invented, he brought into the English language so many expressions and so many words, it is almost beyond belief. Uh, The intellect of that man. They didn't have IQ tests back then, but uh, I I dare say uh, he was not exactly average. But I I just, I love Shakespeare. In particular, the histories, uh, so-called. They're not really histories. They're not factually accurate uh, 100% or even close to it of the time, but absolutely fascinating. And it's everybody in high school, you probably did Romeo and Juliet, Macbeth, Maybe Hamlet, and I, I don't like Hamlet, the character, because he's so wishy washy. I just don't care for him as a person. I know he's fictitious and all that stuff. But uh, Shakespeare, to me, is, it's just, he, he's just on such a different level. And every time you read Shakespeare, you get something new out of it. And his finest work is probably Macbeth. Most people seem to say that's the peak of his career, but there are other works he, he put together which don't get nearly the acclaim they should, um, and I've mentioned this before, but the uh, tragedy of King Richard II. Everybody knows Richard the Third. Now is the winter of our discontent, made glorious summer by the son of York. Everybody knows that one, you know, the hunchback, but very few people know Richard II, which is, it has such unbelievable lines in it that are so memorable and so relevant even today. Uh, Just Shakespeare blows me away. So that is definitely a passion point with me. Absolutely a passion point. Uh, Let's get back to the calls on WBEN. And I'm fascinated by what your passion points happen to be. Steve in Orchard Park, for example, uh, collects inter- It has an interest because, again, we're not doing the collection show. We did that yesterday. But he happens, as part of his passion, to have an assortment of intertidal sand from almost 100 beaches around the world. And he is a geologist by study. And I guess I want to explore a little bit further why it is you are so taken with it.
6: Yes, well, the reason I'm so taken with it is just my geological background on the Earth. Studying the whole Earth was quite fascinating, and the differences of sand. But uh, having collected now from 82 countries of the world, so I have about 252 samples, and they're all different colors. Um, They usually come in four varieties when you collect intertidal sand or beach sand from around the world. You'll find what's called silicious sand. Here's a good word for you. Wonderful word, silicious.
2: Well, there's siliceous sand in Jamaica. Uh, but we're yes, right there.
6: <laughs> but siliceous is, a, is a, the adjective for uh, to describe silica, SiO2. And then there's calcareous, which is calcium carbonates, of course. And then volcanic sands, which oh. are basaltic or black sand. You'll find that in Hawaii and uh, yep. other places where there's volcanic activity, like Iceland. And then conglomerates. You'll find conglomerates, which is lots of different rocks from different origins, and you'll find that along the coast of Maine. Now, what's interesting is these sands, All if you look at them through a microscope, they have a tremendous variety, definition, color. Um, It's a wonderful thing. In fact, the Scientific American magazine put beach sands on the cover of their magazine in a 2002 article, I believe. I have that from them. I just bought it from them a number of years later. But uh, it just tells you something about the origin and the, uh, the uniqueness of different beaches around the whole world. So that was one of my
2: passions. Okay, and I, I must say, I'm fascinated by your passion because of, as we talked about before, the Allies before D-Day actually did Intel Correct. Ops where they actually went and collected sand to determine which beaches would be the best in terms of heavy uh, gear that they could bring onto the beach. Now, Correct. I, have a, I, have a, Correct. I have a stupid question for you. I, I have, Maybe it's a stupid question, maybe it isn't, but are there any significant differences in the sands um, of... Lake Erie, the Niagara River, and Lake Ontario?
6: Well, if you it depends where you are. Again, it, it's so sp- site-specific. When you say Lake Erie, it depends on what part of Lake Erie you're on. Let's say our
2: part right. of Lake Erie. Let's yeah, say the if Buffalo if our part Waterfront. of Lake
6: Erie. And that's going to be a little bit different. I do collect sands uh, and other samples from rivers and lakes, but I don't consider them part of my oceanics. That's just a different side. But uh, Lake Ontario... And is is ground, you know, is bordered by a lot of this uh, rock, very very heavy uh, sandstones, and you're going to find that also around Lake Erie. So it's essentially you're going to find a similar kind of material on Lake Erie or Lake Ontario. Lake Ontario really doesn't have beaches, as you know. Uh, I went to school on Lake Ontario and on the uh, Oswego State, which literally bordered the edge of Lake Ontario. It's
2: Lake, all cut, all cut rock.
6: I mean, there's uh,
2: Alcott's got a nice little beach there and, uh, its yes. and I, I shouldn't make a joke out of this but in Wilson uh, um, I, I've been to an establishment in Wilson that used to have a back and now it doesn't anymore the back is actually the lake um, right
6: right because of, that's because of mass wasting it's called erosion and because of the, you know the changes and what's happening right here in this area by the way is rising. This western New York area is actually rising as a what's called a rebound. The ice ages, twelve thousand five hundred years ago, when the ice was a mile high over our heads, depressed right. the earth, and right now it's rebounding as if you removed your hand from a mattress. It's slowly rebounding, so New York State is actually rising. Upstate New York is rising slowly.
2: Well, I guess the Buffalo Rising site uh, has it right in more than just the title. It literally is rising. It yes, is, is there, literally is and rising. It, yes. It it makes sense because uh, you know we've talked about climate change before on this show, and I always Correct. say uh, it's been around well before industrialization. Just look at the gl- uh, at the Great Lakes. Uh, and it, despite Correct. your your passion uh, for inter, uh, tidal, tidal. Yeah. Inter-tidal. intertidal oceanic beach sand, beach you sand. actually have time for another passion point. What would that be?
6: Yeah, well, biblical archaeology review is interesting to me. Yes. I also have a passion in that because. I went to Israel and helped discover the site Bethsaida, which is, in 1997, uh, it was first located in 1988. I was there with an archaeological expedition to help uncover parts of Bethsaida, which is the fourth most commonly mentioned city in the New Testament.
2: How amazing is that? And you must, I'm quite sure, be familiar with the uncovering within the last seven years of some stairs in Jerusalem uh, thought to have been uh, walked upon by Jesus?
6: Right. Yes. Uh, that's similar. To, that's actually similar to what we did in Bethsaida. You see, we actually joined a group from Columbia University. These are Ph.D. students, and I was from Orlando from a seminary called Reformed Theological Seminary where I was attending, and we combined our efforts to help uncover uh, at 1000 BC what would have been the walkway into Bethsaida, so King David would have walked these steps. And it was quite astounding, actually, to dig down 15 feet and uncover these entire rocks uh, that are located. They're all perfectly placed, as if you placed them yourself.
2: Steve, you the, you the, are uh, you're a fascinating guy, man. You are fascinating. A person <laughs> with whom to speak you truly are and before i let you go um, and i'm sure you're quite familiar with this but it wasn't until the 20th century that it was actually proven that there was a prefect in Jerusalem by the name of pontius pilate of pontius when they pilate, unco-
6: correct. Yeah. when
2: they unco- before that it was he was a figure of some correct. mystery now you can buy pontius pilate coins on the internet so it, yes. that, that, that to true. me is what's fascinating about biblical archaeology. All of these names and personages you might have thought had been lost to antiquity, they're buried somewhere down there.
6: Well, that, what's interesting, too, is they let you collect the pottery and bring it home. So in my house, I have pottery from the very first century, the time of Christ, and he would Jeez. have been on that side, of course. But I have it sitting in my house. They let you take it home for free because there's so much of it.
2: Wow. That's that's yeah, bizarre, amazing. Steve, great call, great, great call. You, you sound like a very fascinating guy, and well, thank um, you. I appreciate and it. And I, I love the way you tell a story. And I, you're obviously very educated, well-read, a hell of a lot smarter than I am. And I am so honored that you called the show. Thank you.
6: Well, thank you, thank you so much.
2: Uh, wow, there's Steve in uh, Orchard Park, and uh, that's his passion point. And it, this, there's, I, I personally think that's fascinating beyond words. Uh, talking about what your passion points are. And I have so many, and I'm curious where your passion points are because A, I think it's an interesting conversation. B, it kind of helps me when I think about, all right, do I do topic A or topic B on any given day? And uh, this is this is real. I've never done this topic before, and it's super cool. Here's Kevin. I think it is. Here's Kevin in uh, Jamestown on WBen. Kevin, you are on the air. Go right ahead. Come,
0: uh, my collections. I like. Or Texaco stuff. My dad owns a Texaco station. Okay, we're not, sir we're, passion, not sir. we're not doing collections,
2: sir. We're not doing collections today. We did that yesterday. No.
0: my pa- my passions are yellow labs and World War One and World War Two, and I'm am so in awe of you going on that trip. If it wasn't for Joe Biden's economy, I'd be right with
2: you. Oh, okay. Well, let's let's talk about World War One, uh, if we may. When did your passion begin for World War One?
0: My great, I don't know if it's my, my great grandfather. Uh, I ended up with his World War One military items in a box where everybody died and stuff. And I didn't know what to do with them. Like there was a canteen, show uniform, this and that. So I took them to a guy. And just by the luck, someone in Jamestown, their great grandfather, grandfather, had. Uh, the same kind of stuff I had, so I sold it to him. So he's got both of them in a the collection. So, and I also I gave him the letters too of uh, in World War One.
2: That uh, letter so you basically the reason World War One is a passion point to you is you have a direct genealogical connection to somebody who served.
0: The area here, someone else had a connection to my great-great-grandfather. They were in the same company or this and that. So he collects So I ended up from. So he's now, now has two of the World War uni- uniforms or this and that. And they were very close to the same company or troop or something. So I felt pretty good about it.
2: Are you telling me that you had an entire World War I uniform? It was in uh, a box. We, but, okay, but you say you had a uh, – when you say a box, I'm thinking buttons and medals. I wasn't thinking uniform. You had an, an entire no, uniform?
0: No buttons or medals. Some stripes on the things, a canteen, them funny hats they wore, all but, that stuff. But, but I, th- you, I think I sold it for like $1,200 to him. but it you was did, uh, you, pretty you neat. did
2: You did or did not have a complete uniform?
0: That's complete.
2: Oh, dude, twelve hundred dollars! He stole it from you. But
0: look, Tom, I had no—I didn't care about. I really like World War II. That's why I'm such oh you, because I want to go on that trip so bad. By economy, I can't go. Wonder what they do if there's some seats left. They discount them or not?
2: <laughs> no, I don't. I don't believe so, sir. But uh, anybody who's so interested uh, should. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. Um, Kevin thank you very much I, uh, I appreciate the uh, I appreciate the call um, World War one uniforms in good condition go online even World War II uniforms and the Buffalo history Museum has a warehouse I won't tell you where it is and in that warehouse they literally have hanging up real uniforms from the War of 1812. And one of the first things you're going to think when you see those uniforms, if you ever see them, is they were so tiny back then. I was born 200 years too late. I would have been a tall dude. Hmm. It's uh, 27 minutes after 4 at News Radio 930 WBEN. Yes, the theme from the Jeffersons. I don't often do dedications. I'm going to use my Casey Kasem voice, but that song goes out to my daughter, Ariel, for reasons which will remain between the two of us. Well done, Ariel. Well done. Uh, anyway, it is uh, Bowerly on News Radio. That's going to get a text on News Radio 930 W B E N. Uh, welcome to the program, and today. Uh, I I think frankly this topic kicks butt. Is I've never done it before, and I've been dying to do it. Basically, it is what are your passion points? And we have heard uh, things like World War One from our previous caller, and I'm so jealous if whoever got a World War One uniform for twelve hundred bucks, complete with the helmet. Oh, that's what I call a steal. Um, people, a guy who is into studying. Um, intertidal sands of the ocean from beaches around the world uh, because he's into geology um, and so many other people with interesting hobbies or passions. And as I've men- made mention uh, throughout the program, I have so many things in which I have very, very deep interests. And one of the things that I keep saying pretty much every day this week is It's frustrating to me that the more I learn, the more I realize I don't know. And I'm the kind of guy, I want to know everything about everything, and it's impossible. But I love just doing deep dives into various subjects, especially doing this for a living. You never know what's going to come up on any given day and just that stupid little point i brought up about the engineers of world war ii and the um, oss and other uh, uh, allied agencies doing reconnaissance of the beaches of france i picked that up somewhere in my reading or watching a documentary because it made sense they had to know what kind of sand our guys would be landing upon when they invaded Because they had to know what kind of support they'd have in terms of armor and artillery. And you had to know the consistency of the sand, which was a lesson learned, I believe, at Dieppe, which was a horrible failure. Uh, 803-0930 is the phone number. Star 930 on the cell phone. 1-800-616-WBEN. I am fascinated by the stuff that is or are your passion points. Big time. And obviously, the Kennedy assassination is a huge passion point with me. Also with Bellavia. Uh, Bellavia is, don't, le- don't let him fool you. Bellavia is as interested in it as am I. And we probably have texted each other, I'd say, 5,000 times <laughs> on the Kennedy assassination. And that was just today, which is weird. Uh, let's get to John in the Falls. John, you're on WBEN. Welcome to the program.
3: Hi, Tom. How are you? Um, ah, great, so, man.
2: I, I love this topic, and the callers, again, have been out of this world, hitting it out of the park.
3: This has been – yeah, it's been a great topic. And I've been waiting for something like this so I could share with you um, what I enjoy. So it it may sound bizarre, but it has historic um, purpose behind it, I guess. I lift rocks, or what they say over in, in Scotland – Stones, historic stone lifting. I've been doing it for 20 years. Um, I'm 57 years old, and I can still lift a 200-pound stone up to my shoulder and a 300-pound uh, stone to my chest. Um, so I just have certain areas um, throughout western New York that I have specific stones that I go and in, in lift. Um, I, I'm a former personal trainer, so it, it was just an extension of my, my lifting, just something that I can do outdoors, and it, it's become a passion for me.
2: Okay, this, again, my friend, my love, John, I am very fascinated with this because fly fishing, okay, a lot of people are into fly fishing. You are the first person with whom I've ever spoken in 60 years on this <laughs> planet who is into stone lifting. Now, may I ask if you are of Scottish descent? Irish. Irish. Well, what's an island between Irish. friends?
3: Okay. Yes. Uh, now, with that being said, they, a friend of mine in Ireland has—he's rediscovering the stone lifting culture in Ireland, and he's rediscovering these stones that haven't been touched anywhere from two hundred, you know, fifty to two hundred years ago, or, or, or longer. And um, it's kind of a big deal over there. So it's it's a pretty cool, fascinating time to be doing this. <laughs>
2: How would you know the difference between a rock that was heavy and a stone that was actually used as part of stone lifting?
3: There's there's a lot of history and documentation. Um, Scotland, um, they just go through old diaries and books, church records, funerals, because at festivals, well, there's a lot of history behind it. So some of it they were testing or manhood stone. So if you wanted to be... Um, your your lord's guardian you had to be strong enough to lift a stone and that each clan would have a specific stone that they would lift as their testing stone um oh my goodness and that, yeah and then as time went on that became a means of an employment if if you couldn't lift a stone then you you know there's certain stones if you couldn't lift it you wouldn't be employed because you wouldn't be strong enough to do the job um so it's it, there's a rich history behind it there's three do, huge documentaries on it um, <laughs> one from iceland one from scotland and one from uh, basque country out outside of spain but um,
2: this is fascinating so,
3: it's going to go even deeper tom because i figured all these cultures at one because this the stone lifting went all the way into the 18 17 1800s 1900s And all these cultures came over here to America. And um, for the last seven or eight years, I've been researching, and I have a Niagara County historian helping me do research uh, to find stones in Western New York. Um, And we might have a line on one, but I'm not going to say anything until I find more out out about it. But um, I discovered one in Pennsylvania. at a, a park it's still sitting at the mansion where it sat is a testing stone for employment um huh. but they cemented it to a wall so i can't lift it um it's cemented so i can't even go down there and give it a try
2: oh go for the whole wall come on what kind of a man are you
3: <laughs> i i was all ready to go down there i was getting packed up and i talked to the people that run the park uh, Gr- uh Graham park um and uh they told me they would love to have me come down there, but the state, in their infinite wisdom, decided to cement it to the top of the wall.
2: So, okay, let's let's just talk about this. First of all, does this have anything to do? Maybe you know the answer to this. Maybe you don't. Uh, if you read English books uh, or you know anything out of the UK, uh, they will sometimes. Use stone as a measure of weight. As, uh, one stone is what fourteen pounds, something like that. Um, is is that right. where that ori- is that where that originates?
3: You know that's that's a it's a really good question. I don't know. I've I've never thought to look into that. I know in Iceland um, there's 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 a, a term called full full sturker. I believe is how you pronounce it, which means um, full man or full strength. That means you're able to pick up a certain stone and carry it, and then there's half half sturker, which means you can lift the stone up to your lap, um, but you can't get a full lift or carry on it. And then there's I, I forget the other term, but it basically means little man. Um, you can't lift the stone at all. <laughs> so
2: yeah. Um, okay, now let me ask you another question because I don't know if you were to be talking yesterday, but um, in between the time I had my hernia taken care of in December and the time I was able to lift weights again, something happened with my left shoulder, and I'm embarrassed to tell you I can't even get 30 pounds above my shoulder right now because something is – yeah, something is amiss. I think I just need a cortisone shot, but that's it. it that's immaterial. Um, okay, if somebody's at a gym, they can always call out for a spotter. You're in the middle of the right. woods. You're lifting these enormous stones. God forbid, mm-hmm. what happens if you lose your footing in the wet earth that often is underneath one of these stones and you tumble backward? You, sir, you could die easily.
3: There's there's three possible outcomes. I, I drop it and, and everything's fine. Um, I drop it and it hits me somewhere on the body. Or, like you said, I fall over backwards and I die. Um, now, being th- as that may be, um, dying doing something I'm passionate about isn't such a bad way to go.
2: Well, I know a certain individual who is uh, actually one of the sponsors of this show, and he, what his th- what his passion point is is ice climbing he will literally climb up these sheer cliffs of ice and i think to myself dude i don't want to lose you (laughs) that way because you're too valuable in my life That's definitely terrifying to me. (laughs) John, I want to terrified. Oh, the man who lifts boulders uh, is terrified of that. Um, John, uh, again, over there, uh, a stone uh, in terms of weight, one stone is 14 pounds. I'm not sure if that has anything to do with uh, how that measuring system came to be. But what sparked your passion in this?
3: It's, it's a funny thing because I didn't know anything about the history of this when I first started. Um, I just loved fitness, and I loved working out outdoors. So what, when I lived in Rochester, um, I used to go for hikes, and, you know, I'd do push-ups, and, and i use tree branches for pull-ups and, and whatever, and I'd run up hills. And I thought, well, how can I add something more to this? And there was a hill I was about to go up, and there was a rock. It wasn't really large, maybe 50 pounds. And I picked it up and I carried it up the hill and I said, that was really awesome. <laughs> so I kept doing it thinking I was the only nut job lifting rocks or stones for exercise. Um, and then eventually I came across another guy um, in, in Florida that was doing it and he was discussing the benefits of it. And from there, like, like you, when I find something of interest, I do a deep dive. And from there, I, um, of course, Facebook came in the picture around that time. Um, And I started meeting other people, mostly of Scottish descent, actually living in Scotland, Scottish people um, who were lifting rocks. And um, I was invited on uh, several podcasts because of my passion for rock lifting and uh discussing it then from there i've connected with people from iceland from well from all over the world pretty much and it's it's getting a lot of traction here in the united states as well um so it it just kind of grew from something i enjoyed to now something that i've become very passionate about just because of outdoor fitness
2: i am blown away but what what do you do in the winter time uh, when, when the snow is so deep it might be rather difficult to spot a liftable stone
3: <laughs> i go to my my faithful ones where i i know where they're at i my to, to much to my wife's chagrin i have several of my regular training stones in my driveway along with some large tires and other things that i lift um but i i have areas in in um the nature trails in lockport I have uh, several stones there. I have. Um, I live not far from the Reservoir State Park in Lewiston, mm-hmm. and up on the Reservoir it's loaded with rocks. I have a bunch there that I've I've nicknamed the Reservoir <laughs> Dog Stones. And, uh...
2: <laughs> and you're a Tarantino <laughs> fan. Well done, sir. Yeah,
3: yes, yes.
2: <laughs> I love the Reservoir so, is one of the I greatest know- places to think in this area. Really is.
3: Absolutely. It sure is.
2: Um great it call, sure John. Great call. I wish you success with lifting your rocks. Um but uh, just just remember, just remember as you become older, your friends will not be bursitis and <laughs> shoulders popping out of joint. I am embarrassed yes. right now. Embarrassed at how yes. little I can lift. <laughs> thank thank, no, thank you Tom, so I, much, John. I, yeah. Oh,
3: I, one more thing. Since since you're an amateur historian, I was wondering if this is something that uh, we could talk about further, because I do have a line on a couple of historic stones in the area. Um, oh, oh, hold, hold on until
2: hold, hold after the news, because I might actually have an answer for you. Sure. Hold, hold on. We'll, talk, we'll continue this. Um, it is 458. I'm telling you. This topic is awesome and the calls have been sensational. What is your passion point? Like what do you like to do? What do you get into and then do a deep dive on? All righty. It is Bowerly News Radio 930 WBEN loves good to have you with us on this uh, Friday. So yesterday we did a show about what you collect and to the untrained naked ear it might sound like i'm doing the same thing again but the untrained ear would be wrong because today i doing a topic that i've always wanted to explore and i was always a little worried about is it going to work is it not going to work and it's working and basically what are your passion points in life you're thinking getting out of work passion points what the hell are you talking about okay we all have interests in this life, all of us. I just happen to have an awful lot of them and they're quite eclectic. And I don't think I'm particularly unique But when I get into something, I do a deep dive. For example, our caller on the line here, John, uh, mentioned, well, John, his passion in life is lifting rocks in the wild for exercise. He's abusing wild rocks, basically, uh, and he does it for exercise. It started out one day, Mm -hmm. he was uh, working out outside doing push-ups on tree limbs um, and running that... Horrible waste of time known as running. And then he said, hey, let me pick up a rock, a 50-pound rock, and he ran with it uphill. And it turns out there's a whole community of people who work out with naturally occurring stones. And... John, I you're more than welcome to my kidney stones. I'll give those to you. There's not a lot of weight to them, but uh, you're more than welcome. Uh, but that'll believe me. That'll impact your weightlifting career in a big hurry. But uh, as far as yeah, hello. Uh, but anyway, um, the um, apparently this is a big deal in various parts of the world, like uh, Scotland, Ireland, Iceland, and, and elsewhere. Uh, is there uh, and I, maybe even uh, amongst Native Americans, um, John yes. in Niagara Falls uh, go, likes to go to the reservoir. You'll see him working out there, and he actually lifts the reservoir itself, which is quite a feat. Uh, but he, he's he's <laughs> able he's able to pull it off. But it's a, that that place is a great place to go and just and just think and contemplate life, especially in the summertime.
4: Yeah, uh,
2: but. Anyway, uh, let's go to – you were you were talking about – because you, you mentioned that uh, I'm an amateur historian, and you are correct. I love amateur history, and frankly, some of the most talented historians in western New York are amateur historians. They're not the guys – and I'm, this is no disrespect to anybody with a Ph.D., but the people that I know who have found some really cool stuff – like extremely rare finds in western new york are amateurs they're amateur metal detectorists they're amateur historians and the situation i I need to give a preamble to this forgive my eating into your time here But uh, we had every reason to believe that we had found the graves of Jonas Williams, the founder of Williamsville, Mm -hmm. his his mother, one of their children, and a pioneer child in a backyard in Williamsville. So we followed all of the proper protocol. We did the subsurface soil analysis with the ground penetrating radar. We called in the archaeologists from UB because as far as human remains are concerned, the last thing we wanted was to be cowboys going in there with shovels that's not very cool we even had the amherst pd involved because obviously if there if we'd found human remains um they have to at least document the fact that yep it's not a homicide of recent vintage uh but in in any event we did everything the right way. And this is why I get a little bit skeptical about Amelia Earhart's plane. I'm not ruling it out, but some sometimes you can have all of the preliminary data in the world and you think you've got something, but it turns out to be nothing. And unfortunately our quest for Jonas Williams ended up like Al Capone's Vault and Geraldo Rivera because we didn't find the graves even though all of the data we had collected indicated to a high degree of probability that we had, even including the alignment of the graves, uh, which turned out not to be graves. So, um, unfortunately, uh, the, the point I'm trying to make, two points. Number one, we have some great amateur historians in the area. We have made tremendous inroads, but... Uh, in locating the site of the uh, American Army encampment of the winter of 1814 in Williamsville. It it is not at Maine and Garrison, where the sign says it was. That's hogwash. Uh, But the uh, question you had was about something involving local history and a stone, I believe. And what was that question? Oh,
3: yeah, so... I've talked to I have one historian in Niagara County who's who's helping me, and he has his eye on on a potential uh, stone. There's a rumor about the Irish that have come through here, but I've talked to historians from from uh, Genesee County, Livingston, Livonia, um, Livingston County, um, around this area as well, and even in in Erie County. And most of the historians sound you know. Interested, but not enough to do a, a deep dive on it. I'm, you know, I'm getting older, so I really want to be able to lift an American uh, documented historic stone. And you know, I'm just, I'm looking for other historians who might have information um, or know some older gentlemen who heard a rumor from, you know, back in the day of stones in this area. Um, like I said, we got a beat on one possibly in uh in in uh, niagara county there's the one i found in pennsylvania and they just recently found one in connecticut but nobody's lifted any of these yet so i would love to have an opportunity without traveling to scotland iceland and, and ireland to lift a historic stone right here in america especially in our backyard
2: now if you if it's supposedly in lockport might this have anything to do with the fact that the irish by and large were the guys they hired to build the erie canal
3: Absolutely.
2: Okay. Uh, Very interesting. Uh, There is a fellow I know who is, he does not have a PhD after his name, but he, uh, despite our inability to locate the grave of Jonas Williams, founder of Williamsville, um, this man is absolutely brilliant. His methods are sound, and let's put it this way: when you approach UB archaeologists as amateurs, you have to have your ducks in a row. And we had our ducks in a row. Just so happened that our ducks, our ducks didn't cooperate. I mean, they were in a row, but they, they were just the wrong. They were just the wrong ducks. Uh, they gave us they, they gave us uh, false quacks. Uh, but uh, if if you send me an email, um, I will pass it on to the guy I know. Who is a great local historian? Who, by the way, without going into too many details on this, is putting together a study of—let me simply say—ancient fortifications in Western New York. And I've read Ooh. the preliminary work, and it is mind-blowing, absolutely mind-blowing. Um, but I think what he would say, what he would say, John is. What he would he would I mean to people like uh, like my buddy and myself a stone is a stone is a stone Uh, we would want he would want some documentary evidence and is there anything in the journals of the Erie Canal days or the old um, books recounting its construction which makes you believe that this might have been a lifting stone possibly some late night contest after a few uh, shots of whiskey. (laughs)
3: <laughs> yeah, my historian friend says right now it's a rumor, um, but they're looking more into it. And he's he has a couple other historians, I guess, that he's been asking around. I haven't had anything solid back yet. So I'm just kind of I'm in that waiting limbo stage right now, hoping that uh, more comes of it.
2: Uh, Yeah, I don't like the waiting limbo stage. Um, (laughs) Between the the time we thought we had found the grave of Jonas Williams and the time we actually were able to begin the dig, it was over one year. And Uh. I am not a patient man by any stretch of the imagination. Um, But, but, (laughs) I mean, one of the questions he's going to ask is, what makes a lifting stone unique what makes it stand out from just a uh, boulder we might see
3: yeah there's you know and that, that's that's always a tough thing because i know the iris stones they they they're not all the same there's very different some are square some of you know uh, some of them are like uh pillars others are more round uh, you know uh the, the atlas stones came from some of the stones that left in, left in scotland like the Dal-Winney stone they're more round or, or somewhat um, oval shaped. Um, yeah. So it's, it's, that's the hard thing, but what they're finding is, you know, the documentation in Ireland is usually, you know, they'll, they'll describe in you know, a location. If it was on what's called a plinth, which means you would lift it up and put it on a larger rock um, and it would stand there. If you were able to lift it, that would be your test of manhood um, church churches used to document it because they had these things called funeral roads in, in Ireland and Scotland, and um, they were usually the flattest pieces of land, straight land. So after a funerals, of course, it was the Irish and the Scotch, whatever, they, they'd get together and have these big festivals and parties because that's one of the times when all the oh, no clans difference. would get together Jim, or the clan Jim, would I, get
2: together. So the uh, uh, over uh, across the pond – Uh, they would have the funeral roads following a funeral they would have these celebrations and we're just trying to figure out how they dot how how you would go about document something that hasn't been lifted in a hundred or more years as being a stone that was used as part of these uh, tests and proofs of manhood
3: right yeah that'll be the hard part i think over here in in america since we're so developed now Uh, it could just be any stone but they, you know, a lot of their historic sites are still there. So they're able to, you know, if they can find a location and in, in a basic description of the rock from, you know, old stories, diary inputs, uh, uh, um, church documents or whatever, then they're able to find these stones. It just, it takes a lot of legwork. Here, I think it's going to be a lot harder because there's, again, there's been so much development here. Um, and it keeps, it's such a, a small, Thing for most people that there wouldn't be a lot of historical um, documents about these stones so it, it's been quite a challenge at this point um, so I'm not really sure how that's going to turn out I'm hoping we can find um, descriptions of what the shape of the stone may have been like or or an area where it was at so and it, it it's hopefully been unmolested in all that time so it's still sitting In that spot where it was lifted, you know. But, you know, what I'd
2: like you to do, John, what I would like you to do is uh, send me an email, tom at wben.com, tom at wben.com, and I will forward the email on to my awesome local historian. And if anybody can get to the bottom of the mystery, he will do it. And Look, we Excellent. feel horrible about the failure to find and give proper burial to Jonas Williams' remains, but we did everything the right way. I mean, we really, we really did, and he still uh, is—he uh, is an absolutely amazing historian. And um, you know, one of the problems we've Excellent. had. Well, one of the problems we've had in locating the War of 1812 camp, uh, the American army used in 1814, is the surface soil during development of the area where we know the camp was located was bulldozed in the 1920s when they were developing the area. And some of the soil was put in Chikawaga, some of it was put at Garrison Park, which is why we found a musket ball and a military button at at Garrison Park in all likelihood. Hmm. So um, send me an email, I will forward it to my guy, and just uh, in the... the headline uh, put something like uh, "Tom, you are sexy." It's the rock guy that will get my attention. <laughs> that will get my attention and get you a restraining order. <laughs> 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 Thank That's you very language. much. I uh, I appreciate the call. You, Great Tom. stuff. All right, man. I tell you, you, this this topic um, is. Awesome, and we're going to continue it following uh, following the news on WBEN. And if you're just joining us, what are your passion points in life? What are you into? Uh, might be uh, like the Roman wars. It might be Egyptology, the pyramids. It might be uh, it might be bike riding. It might be some form of exercise. I, I remember exercise. Yeah. I, vague, vaguely. It's a vague recollection. I often wonder if I was hallucinating. But um, you may uh, certainly uh, call in because I'd like to load up the phones during the news break so I don't have to uh, spend 10 minutes doing the topic and then breaking and then having to say goodbye. So if you want to tell us about your passion point, like my the Civil War for me – Big one, World War One. Big one, World War Two. Big one, Kennedy assassination. Big one, the McKinley assassination. A big one, as I descanted on that uh, earlier in the week. Shakespeare, huge passion point. The Great Lakes and its shipwrecks, big passion point with me. Uh, and again, when you do this for a living, you've got to be curious. And I think most of us are curious, and then our jobs and our families interfere with our pursuit of our curiosities. Um, 803-0930, star 930, one 616 wben saunders apparently uh he's uh he's got a billy joel fixation and there—and there's nothing wrong with that whatsoever i wonder if that acapella group is going to do the uh blazing saddles version of i get a kick out of you uh, it's still on netflix and i probably have watched it every day since it's been on at least once and it just it cracks me up every time i watch it and it's just it the casting was absolutely perfect and it just it just i it's just a funny movie man just it stands the test of time no they could not make it today even though the message is actually quite an anti-racist message they still couldn't make it today because of certain words that are used by certain people in the movie Anyway, uh, it is uh, 540 at News Radio 930 WBEN, and I do have time to take your phone calls, which uh, is much more interesting than listening to me yammer on and on. And uh, remember the show we did yesterday about collectibles, okay, or what you collect, um, even if they're not necessarily collectibles uh, as per the definition most people would uh, assume. Um, Today, what we've been doing is your passion points. What are you into? What do you like to do? About what do you like to read? What turns you on? What gets you going? And there are one of the things that surprises me uh, is with everybody being all dog and cat crazy, I cannot believe that we have not had a single caller today who said, Tom, my passion point, cats. My passion point, dogs, or my passion point, birds, or perhaps something a little more exotic, because I, I we have entered this really uh, interesting area of our history where dogs and cats have almost become humanized, and on the internet, have you seen the ad with the very, well, everything is subjective, but this very attractive woman saying, you know what the secret to a happy life is? Dogs. Just dogs. Thinking to myself, okay, I love dogs as much as the next person, but maybe that's overstating the case just a little bit. And I'd say the same thing about cats as well. I love cats. You know that. I Cats are cool. And when the, the Internet makes it easy for us to do deep dives on things, uh, last night, for example, might have been the night before I lose track of these things, frankly. Uh, but uh, for whatever reason, I started doing a deep dive into cat breeds because any cat who's ever owned me, notice the phraseology there, any cat who has ever owned me has been a domestic short haired cat. Just a good old cat. And unfortunately, DNA testing for pets was not available uh, prior to Glenna Cat but I did have Glenna cat DNA tested and I was amazed at how many different breeds comprise this black cat with green eyes and I was stunned to find out that one of her major components genetically was a Maine Coon cat. Maine Coon cats are big and they are extremely friendly and Glenna was extremely friendly, and I think I've mentioned this before, but I've been very fortunate that uh, every cat who's ever owned me has been more like a dog than a cat, and let's put it this way. When you're in the bathtub and your cat <laughs> your cat will look at you in the tub, hop up onto the tub, and then position herself on your stomach as you bathe, That says something about a friendly cat. When you walk in the door and they come out to greet you, that's a friendly cat. And I suppose it shouldn't have surprised me that Glenna, who is extremely friendly, as was Candy and Cuddles, um, it shouldn't surprise me that she was part Maine Coon. I think they call the Maine Coon cat the gentle giant. Uh, They're fascinating cats. Russian blues are also just gorgeous gorgeous animals and there's others like abyssinian and siamese but again i love cats not a major passion point but i don't know are you are you this way are you curious about stuff like this do you often find yourself on the internet just saying hey I wonder what this cat is all about, or I wonder what this story is all about, and you end up just reading and reading and reading and reading. Like yesterday, around this time, I went into this uh, monologue about Jack Webb and his importance to all of the crime shows that are on TV today. And by the way, Brenda in Buffalo, if you're listening, I want you to know that I did, right after the show yesterday, I went on youtube and i listened to orson wells and the war of the worlds from 1938 and all i'm gonna say is that from a 2024 radio perspective and a guy who is doing has been doing this for five decades going back to the 80s true story um that was a remarkable broadcast the talent of those days on the radio was absolutely sensational, and the broadcast still stands the test of time. Now, I honestly don't understand why so many people allegedly, there's some dispute about this, by the way, but so many people allegedly freaked out about the fake news stories about an invasion of uh, squid-like creatures from Mars, but in terms of entertainment value, production value, and what they had to work with at the time, it was just amazing. And I'm glad somebody had the foresight to record that. And, by the way, many, many years later, uh, Dan Nevereth, and I think Sandy Beach and the guys at KB, they did a takeoff of War of the Worlds, but the focal point was right here in western New York. So uh, what what is or are your passion points? I mean, how many of you are really into dogs? You look at a dog, and you know immediately the kind of dog it is. Um, my kids, well, in particular my daughter, she has a great love of Cavachons, And, and, and you talked about friendly cat breeds before, like the Maine Coon cat. And there's going to be exceptions, by the way, to every rule. I'm sure there are some Maine coon cats that are downright nasty. But uh, uh, in terms of uh, you you, you might meet a Cavachon, and then you go online and you start reading everything you can about Cavachons and related breeds of dogs and stuff. And uh, the opportunities we have to do deep dives and to – fuel the fires of our interests and what turns us on and what makes life worth living in terms of learning as much as you possibly can, about as much as you possibly can, is um, is is mind-bending. We have more access to more information and more disinformation than we ever have had before. Um, what Another thing that shocks me, a passion point for some people is the wind turbines on Lake Erie. And I think, frankly, and I don't think this is ego speaking. I do think there's some truth to this. I think that the stink we raised with the people from Citizens Against Wind Turbines in Lake Erie, the Catwile Group, I do think that that had something to do with uh, New York State and Nicerta putting the proposal to destroy Lake Erie with wind turbines on the back burner. Now, they didn't totally throw it away. Remember, these people are relentless. They will be back. They don't give up. Never forget that. Just because a temporary victory was won does not mean they're not coming back and they're not going to try to jam it down our throats in the future. Uh, In fact, just so you know, uh, the town of Hamburg is – the Council of the Town of Hamburg, is going to be presenting the resolution against the industrial wind turbines in Lake Erie at their town hall meeting uh, this coming Monday, the 26th of February, at 7 p.m. And everybody involved in Catwile, Citizens Against Wind Turbines in Lake Erie, are encouraged to come to show their support. And I hope you do, because, as I mentioned, one of my passion points, the Great Lakes. And we'll get into that, I'm sure, presently. But uh, if you want to tell us about your passion points, maybe it's uh, presidents of the United States, maybe it's dogs, maybe it's cats, maybe it's high fashion, of course, in Buffalo, high fashion is sweatpants with a stripe. Uh, eight, not that there's anything wrong with that. What do you think I'm wearing? 803-0930, star 930, and 1-800-616-WBEN. Yes, there are two me's. There's the sweatpant me, and then there's the fancy suit me. and <laughs> If I'm working, it's the sweat pant, Me, believe me. Um, uh, and, you know, another passion point for me, anyway, not that anybody cares, but I'm surprised people didn't call in and mention travel. Traveling, in my opinion anyway, is one of the most fulfilling and rewarding things you can do. We did a show on it uh, earlier this week, and people have been to some pretty exotic destinations. And it's great to see the world, and, you Look, I, I, I know that there are plenty of places to see, and there are at least two schools of thought on it. Number one is see as much of the world as you possibly can. And the other school of thought is when you find a place that you really like, it can kind of become a second home. So um, there's a place that I really like in the Caribbean, Um and I think it is just, it's like, it it's heaven on earth. And look, I'm not saying that Jamaica does not have problems. It does. I would never venture into Kingston, Jamaica, with its gang warfare, uh, unless I was accompanied by the entire Marine Corps of the United States with every weapon system available. Uh, but there are certainly some very hospitable places in Jamaica and elsewhere in the Caribbean. But I don't make specific recommendations because... I learned um, when I would recommend people go to certain places in Gettysburg, people would be upset with me. Why? Because their passion points weren't the same as my passion points. I would recommend, for example, um, the horseback ride. I'm not going to name the company, but the horseback ride in Gettysburg across the battlefield. I've done it a couple of times. Some people didn't like it. They were scared. They thought it was too dangerous and some people complained about the hotels that I would recommend. And finally I said, you know what? It's not good for me to be in the recommendation business because uh, too many people are going to complain. And this, this Germany trip, now we're doing that together, and I'm, I'm looking forward to that uh, greatly. And you can get more information at conservativetours.com, conservativetours.com. I want to thank you for uh, your participation and contributions all this week. You've been a tremendous audience. Why don't you give yourselves a round of applause? Don't you hate it when people do that? It's like, that's just begging people to clap. But you can go ahead and give yourself a round of applause. I'd appreciate it more if uh, we'd set up a tip jar here at News Radio 930 WBEN. Wouldn't it be awesome? Everybody else has tip jars. And you know what, Tanner? I refuse to tip for pick up food anymore. I'm sorry. I'm done with that. When the credit card thing comes out, you're just picking up what you ordered on the phone. Why should I even feel bad about not tipping on that? Do you? Because I, I just, I don't.
3: No, like when I uh, mobile order, sometimes they'll ask you for a tip in the app, and I just, I more times than not, I don't.
2: Yeah, I mean, you always wonder if you're going to spit in your food, I suppose. But, um, yeah, I just, I, there's just, uh, no there I will happily and 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 uh, happily and very well tip person to person servers and any of my servers would verify that. but as far as tipping to pick up food, come on, that's it's gotten a little over. We got to do another show on tipping uh, this coming week. But I think it would be kind of cool to have a tip jar on the WBEN.com site. Hey, if you really like Tom's show today, would you like $5, $10, $1,000? That would be kind of cool. Anyway, uh, thanks to Tanner Saunders for magnificent work all week long uh, and forever. And I want you to stand by because coming up, it is Buffalo's evening news from 6 until 7 at News Radio 930 WBen. Uh, have yourself a wonderful weekend and try to stay warm or some semblance thereof, and gosh, try not to get a sunburn. It's 5.58 at News Radio 930 WBEN loves. Thanks for listening. See you Monday following David Bellavia Medal of Honor recipient who's on from 10 to 2 on WBEN.
4: We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's over here. Only at
2: T-Mobile. Get four iPhone 15s on on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch.
3: Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com.
4: <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com.